Wrestling. All-Star Wrestling is sanctioned by the AWA, the American Wrestling Association. All-Star Wrestling presents the top professional wrestlers from the United States, Canada, England, Germany, Australia, Mexico, Poland, Japan, the greatest professional wrestlers from throughout the world. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to this special Tales from the Territories episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I am Jonathan Hood. You can always catch Good Karma Wrestling. That airs every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. Catch it on YouTube. You can subscribe there or catch the podcast right here. Good Karma Wrestling with my friends Brian, Gabe, and, of course, yours truly. Well, this is episode three as we take a look at Tales from the Territories. The first two episodes were fantastic. If you have not checked out the previous episodes of Tales from the Territories, go back. Go back to episode one where we talked about Memphis Wrestling. And also we talked about Jerry Lawler against Andy Kaufman. So those are the first two episodes. But episode three of Tales from the Territories was about something that's near and dear to my heart. Catch these series, by the way, every Tuesday uh, on Vice or you can catch it on YouTube. Look for Tales from the Territories, this new series of wrestling content coming from Vice TV. Thanks to The Rock. Dwayne Johnson and his Seven Bucks production company. The AWA is very special to me as a professional wrestling fan. It is the company I grew up with here living in Chicago. My dad would take me to the International Amphitheater on 47th and Halsted Street in Chicago to see the AWA. We just heard the open of their television show back in the late 70s, early 80s, and The AWA meant a lot to me because before they were stars, before Hulk Hogan was in WWF, before Tito Santana was there, before the Blackjacks were there, before Bobby Heenan, Mean Gene Okerlund, before Kurt Henning, and the list goes on and on and on of great talented stars that made their way to New York. You know where they were? They were in the Midwest wrestling for Vern Gagne and the AWA. So I remember watching the AWA with my dad when I heard that theme, that open, uh, every Sunday morning at uh, 11 a.m. And I really enjoyed watching the AWA because I'd see professional wrestling. No sports entertainment. It was, as I tell the joke all the time about the AWA, it was 10,000 squash matches. It was 5,000 great promos and one angle a year. Because it seemingly, that's what it was, just a whole bunch of squash matches to make sure that AWA fans could see uh, their events live, their events emanating from Minneapolis and St. Paul and Milwaukee and Chicago and Omaha, Winnipeg, Denver, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Phoenix, and all throughout the Midwest region, all throughout the Midwest. And even though Vern Gagne a person who was an amateur wrestler himself in the 1948 Summer Olympics. Even though that he was an Olympic wrestler, he understood how professional wrestling was so very popular. The AWA was simply about professional wrestling, and I really enjoyed it because one of the 
things I remember most is Hulk Hogan and his chase for the heavyweight championship. If someone asks you, hey, do you know Jay Hood? Do you know Jonathan Hood? Uh, do you know his favorite wrestler? If you know the answer already, then you're way ahead of the game. But my favorite wrestler growing up was Nick Bockwinkle because he was the AWA champion. Before Ric Flair and before the you know limousine riding, jet flying, you know, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, the guy who is into marijuana now, <laughs> but always uh, was a great champion all across the country and around the world. Nick Bockwinkle was the guy I saw in my territory. Nick was dressed to the nines. Nick had the sunglasses. He had the bleach blonde hair. And he could talk people in the building because he was an ultimate heel. Nick Bockwinkle was my favorite wrestler growing up because even though he was a heel, he was just put together. And he'd use these big words. And he'd insult the fans. And I just thought, this guy's amazing. Because without missing a beat... He could just roll off a two-minute promo, and immediately you were on his ass, and you were thinking, I want to go see this guy get his head kicked in. And that's exactly what many people did. The AWA drew in the regions that they promoted a lot, especially in the 1960s, the 1970s, and in the 1980s as well. So I want to go back and talk a little bit about what we saw on Tales from the Territories, because... The documentaries we're seeing on Vice, it's not necessarily about always the in-ring and the main event. It's about stories around the territory. So watching this special, we saw strongman Ken Patero. And I would ask you to go to YouTube and find some of the great matches from Ken Patero. During the era in which I watched wrestling, and you see it now in 2022, of course, everyone's got a great body and they look built and they look like they're strong men or strong women. But back in the day, these were Olympians that came from the amateur ranks for whatever sport they were in to become a professional wrestler, to train, and it was rigorous, to train as a professional wrestler, old school, and then be able to go into the ring and try to perform. And so Ken Patera is one of those guys where he was, this was known at one point in the world, the strongest man in the world. You say, oh, no, that's Mark Henry. No, before Mark Henry, it was Ken Patera. And Ken Patera was able to slim his body down for him to be able to be a professional wrestler in a lot of different territories. He wrestled a lot, but he also wrestled in the AWA. He was part of that roundtable discussion. And Ken now, you know, he's got crazy stories about him throwing a boulder through a window at McDonald's. He cracks people up with his stories now because he's a curmudgeon and much older now. But Ken, he was amazing to watch because he had the gift to gab. And also, when you think of Kurt Angle, when you think of you know so many others that wrestled in the Olympics, he was able to parlay what he did in the amateur ranks to the professional ranks. So Ken was that dude. Medusa was also part of that uh, roundtable discussion as well. It's interesting that they use Medusa because Medusa came in uh, from the Indies and was one of one of two women that were wrestling on a regular basis for the AWA. It was an attraction. Nowadays, of course, in professional wrestling, we get two, sometimes three women's matches on a card, which is real progress for sure. When you have women's tag team champions and when you see what's happening uh, around wrestling where women are more involved, it is fantastic. So it's great to see. But Medusa came in and 
Vern Gagne said, yeah, I really want you to be part of my territory, Russell, for the AWA. Sure. You'll have to take on Sherry Martell. <laughs> and Sherry Martell, she was ferocious. She was an amazing performer. And Sherry Martell was a big heel. Of course, we've seen her as a manager. Or in the AWA, they call them manageresses. The manageress, which is weird. Um, but Sherry Martell and Medusa Michelli had some really good matches in the AWA. It was just a difference than you saw with always the rugged man and, you know, catch-as-catch-can type wrestling and all the promos. It was great to see those two go at it. So it was good to see Medusa there because she gave her thoughts about the AWA, meaning that, you know, it, it, women's wrestling in the AWA was almost non-existent until those two were hooking it up and, and they were wrestling in the ring for the AWA. The tag team I remember the most growing up, watching the AWA, was a tag team called the High Flyers. It was Jumpin' Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. For some of you uh, late 80s kids into the 90s, you remember Jim Brunzel being part of the Killer Bees. It was Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Blair, and they were the Killer Bees. Jim Brunzel was always a solid wrestler. I mean, you think about the great drop kicks that you see in professional wrestling in 2022. Like um, Okada's got a great drop kick back in the day. Coco Ware had a great drop kick. Um, there's so many now that can be able to do it in a, in a you know, very theatric and also uh, in a way where it's just like, wow, how does this person get this height? Okada right now for me has the best drop kick out of New Japan. But Jim Brunzel for his day had a hell of a drop kick. It was amazing. Uh in the 80s, it was you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that got the height and the ability to kick someone's head off, uh, like jumping Jim Brunzel. So he was always a solid talent. Greg Gagne. It's interesting how people look at Greg Gagne now versus when he wrestled. There's been a lot of examples over the years, including now in 2022, that when a a legendary wrestler is out there and he draws money and he draws attention and you pay to see him wrestle pay-per-view or you go to the the event to see a professional wrestler you're thinking man that guy's the man and boy now he's got a son now the son's gonna be even better right well greg was not Vern Gagne. that just put it that way Vern was a serious wrestler and he was on top as the heavyweight champion for a long time even while he was the promoter for the AWA by the way and Greg Gagne well Greg also had a nice drop kick and he was fundamentally sound but he wasn't Vern he didn't necessarily have the fire or he didn't have necessarily the necessities to be a top guy in the AWA he was one-time television champion. He was a long-time tag team champion with Jim Brunzel. But the High Flyers together were a solid tag team. It put Greg over. Jim always was already a solid wrestler. So Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne were a great tag team. So they were part of the roundtable discussion as well. And you know who else was there? Good God. Diamond Dallas Page was also part of the roundtable discussion. Okay, so DDP, why is he there? Well, when the AWA was at the Showboat Sports Pavilion in Las Vegas, there was this tall, lanky blonde with a whole bunch of earrings, a whole bunch of um, gold around his neck. He also had um, a lot of rings on his fingers. And uh, he was just a walking gimmick 
He really was. Diamond Dallas Page was some, some totally different from the very bland AWA production. He was something totally different. We hadn't seen anyone that could talk like that. And he had the Diamond Exchange. And so that worked out well. <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page, the Diamond Exchange. He was out there and he's brought like two or three different women out there. And he was one of the original managers of Scott Hall. Um, at, at a certain time, I mean, he was just amazing. He managed Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, uh, which was, they were the AWA tag team champions at one point. So Diamond Dallas Page was also part of this, but boy, it's nothing like the legacy of the AWA. The whole AWA was amazing. There is no bond like it. It was the fucking wilderness. All of a sudden, the whole plane moves. And we look back, and here's Mad Dog. He's hanging out the plane. He had heard that somebody had fired a gun in the arena. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm throwing cops all over the place. Boom. Hails from the territories. Guys, it was really something back then. It's one thing to be able to watch the action, but I'm learning about these some of these stories. I'll share a few with you based on what we saw on the documentary. Of course, these are not spoiler podcasts. I'm just telling you that you should be able to watch these on Vice or on YouTube. It's some really great storytelling about what wrestling used to be like, especially behind the scenes. But let me get to one of the things that you just heard there, that little clip about Mad Dog Bashan. Okay. You know, television was so different back then where... The way that the wrestlers were shot, you would think Mad Dog Vashon was six foot seven, but he actually was a smaller wrestler, but he was tough. Maurice Mad Dog Vashon would be on television and the way he would just growl at you and you'd be right in the camera, he would scare small children and some adults too, just based on the teethy grin, the things that he would say. Mad Dog Vashon, there was a story about him. I won't tell it all, but you got to watch this about Mad Dog and his time on the road and him wanting to get out of a plane, opening up a plane while it's in the air and wanting to just get some air, apparently, opening up the cockpit door just to, with wrestlers on it, right? Just with wrestlers on it, an airplane, like a 12 to 14 seat airplane with wrestlers on it. It could have killed everybody. Mad Dog Vashon opened up the, the plane, but you got to hear the story, the backstory of that. Uh, I told you already about Ken Patera. Ken Patera and, Ken, and uh, Mr. Saido, they had been out and they've traveled for a long time. They've been drinking and they said, I just got to get something to eat. I haven't eaten all day. Ken Patera goes to McDonald's and Ken Patera wants some McDonald's. And uh, they tell him at the McDonald's that, sorry, sir, the McDonald's is closed. Ken didn't like that. And I think the person that used to work there also didn't like that. And there was something major that happened. All of a sudden, a huge boulder went right through the window because neither one of those guys were served McDonald's late night uh, in the wilderness, as Ken just said. It was the fucking wilderness. <laughs> he's something, man. People should have a mic in his beak all the time because he's got stories. And even if those stories aren't true, it's Ken Patera. He's so surly and so mad and just old now. And just, uh, it's amazing that uh, Vice got Ken to be able to talk about these things on the record. So that's uh, that was pretty cool. And wow. Hold on, I, I gotta hear some Mad Dog Vashon. It's just, this guy's just too classic with Gene Okerlund. 
Maurice, Maurice Bichon, please come on in if you would. Jerry Black. Well, Mad Dog is the name, if you don't mind. I left Maurice back home a long time ago. There's no place in professional wrestling. No one I'd get in the ring for anybody else but a Mad Dog. Jerry Blackwell, you made me a Mad Dog. It's people like you that turned me from a Maurice to a Mad Dog. You made me what I am today. What I'm going to be in the ring when I get with you, you fat slob. Well, you put you put me out of wrestling for over two years. But you know something, fat well, you can never do it alone. But this time, you're going to be alone. Alone with a mad dog. I told you I would get you one way or the other. When you're looking over your shoulder, there'll be a mad dog on your tracks. Now I've got you cornered like a rat. You're nothing else but. And also a big yellow fat one. But you know something? This time, you will have nobody to turn to to tag. When the altitude of my eye, when you're out of steam, I'll chew on your bones. I'll bite you. I'll break more of your bone. I'll crush you. It's gonna be a tough fight, so you better come out fighting. You better come out fighting. Yeah. Mad Dog Vashon. <laughs> he was one of a kind, and he made you believe. Well, as I mentioned, I really love these documentaries. I hope that you continue to watch. I know the next one we're going to do is focused on Florida Championship Wrestling, or as they called it back then, Championship Wrestling from Florida. Now, again, the AWA was in my area, being in Chicago in the Midwest, and so we could see... Um, You could see these matches in Indiana and in Illinois and in Wisconsin. Florida, I read about in the magazines. And I'll get an education about what's going on uh, in the Florida Territory with Steve Kern and with uh, Kevin Sullivan and so many others. So, as I mentioned, highly recommend seeing these stories from the AWA. But, man, that was my territory. And even though they did not have the same production value of WWE at the time or WCW or what you see right now, the one thing I'll always remember about the AWA is that Vern Gagne made sure that everyone knew that the AWA is about professional wrestling. It was about Nick Bockwinkle. It was about the stars. The stars you saw that you might have grown up with in the 80s and 90s, they had to go through Vern first. Now, this the last little bit I want to say is... You know, some will say, well, how come the AWA is not existing today? The AWA was absorbed by the WWE as uh, Vince McMahon went to Vern Gagne in the 80s as far as the national expansion idea that Vince McMahon Jr. had at the time. He wanted to be able to take Florida and Dallas and take Minneapolis with the AWA and uh, the Sheik in Detroit and some of these other territories around the country because he wanted to be able to showcase his wrestling with the wrestlers of other companies. And he went to Vern Gagne and said, hey, I really want to buy your territory. I think Vern considered it for a moment. And then as soon as Vince McMahon got out of the limo, he just wanted him to know, I don't negotiate. Pretty much saying that one way or the other, I'm going to get your organization. Guess what? Uh, The AWA folded. And you saw a bunch of wrestlers and bunch of talent. 
the announcers like Minji Okerlund and Roger Kent and so many others, the, the producers of the AWA, they all went to the WWE. All the talent, Jesse the Body Ventura, I saw him first in the AWA. Then he became an announcer and a wrestler in the WWE. And it's, it's so much talent that went from Vern's company to the WWE and it just crippled the company. Uh, Vince said he didn't negotiate. He certainly did. He just took and was able to outspend uh, Vern Gagne. And that's why this organization collapsed in, I'd say, 1990. So, again, check it out. I was really excited to see the AWA on Vice and Florida will be next. And I'd love for you to give us some feedback, GKW underscore wrestling, or hit me up on Facebook to give me your thoughts on Tales from the Territories. It's just a great series on Vice TV and on YouTube. We saw Memphis. We saw Lawler against uh, Andy Kaufman. We saw the AWA. Florida's next, and we'll cover it right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday.